0: Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Father Aquinas Gilbo. Father Gilbo is the prior of the Priory of the Immaculate Conception at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C. He is also Assistant Professor of Moral Theology at the Dominican House of Studies and Senior Editor at Alatea. And what are we talking about? Well, In response to the news of Pope Francis's comments to Jesuits on his recent visit to Slovakia, Pope Francis says, um, well, one Jesuit asks about tensions inside the church. And to quote that Jesuit, he says, some even see you as heterodox while others idealize you. We Jesuits tried to overcome this division. How do you deal with people who look at you with suspicion? And the Holy Father responds, There is, for example, a large Catholic television channel that has no hesitation in continually speaking ill of the Pope. I personally deserve attacks and insults because I am a sinner, but the church does not deserve them. They are the work of the devil. I have also said this to some of them. Um, A lot of people, by and large, pretty much see the Holy Father as speaking about the Eternal Word television network. And I used to work for EWTN, And when I heard these comments, I was like, ooh, these are not comments like from some other media group that maybe has a different ideological slant. These are comments from the Holy Father, the Vicar of Christ. And so they require a lot of attention. What is he saying? What does this mean? How serious is it when you say that these are works of the devil? Really, all of us should take a moment and really think about, well, how do we communicate about the Holy Father? Are we doing it in a way that is hurtful of the church? I mean, this is time for some serious introspection. So when I read those comments from the Holy Father, a part of me also was thinking, you know, what if he was saying that to me directly, face-to-face? How would I receive that information? I think it would be shattering in a way. Like I'd be having to really examine what am I doing and saying? that the vicar of Christ is telling me that I am doing works of the devil, that I'm basically attacking the church by the way that I speak about the vicar of Christ. And it's going to make me question, how am I doing my work? What are my conversations about? What is my mission? Are we relentless in looking for every perceived error you know, of the Holy Father? And that that's all that we could focus on. Are we really in reality, objectively open to hearing what the Holy Father has to say and what he has to teach? If all we can focus on, yes, he told you he ain't no good, he's wrong on this, or see, we can't trust him. That's a problem. That's not good. And they may need to make some radical changes, radical changes in how we speak, how we listen to things, even maybe breaking the frame of our bubble. We all need to realize maybe we operate in a bubble and getting outside of that and having broader conversations that actually do keep us in love with the bride of Christ and having deep affection for the Holy Father. Affection that, while I'm not saying blind obedience and that we can't critique things, but if the critique is coming from a place of lax charity, we've gone astray. And we also need to ask forgiveness of God if we have, you know, because how many other people that we influence are led astray by these kinds of things? And that's a very serious thing, care for souls, which I think we all have, in our conversations and doubly so when we're a person in media or that we have that reach in media. There's a lot of responsibility with that. And so as a baptized person that takes the faith seriously, that is huge cause for alarm, a cause for me to pause, a cause for me to try to make it right and think about what I need to do to change course. And so when I talk to Father Aquinas, we're gonna really go into the hard questions of these criticisms of the Holy Father. Do any of them have merit, especially the ones that paint the Holy Father as being doctrinally in error, really teaching heresy? Does he? Is there any validity to that? We have to ask those hard questions. And I thought that he would bring a good perspective on this as not only someone that's been in the media, actually we've worked together, but also someone who forms men in the priesthood and also helps teach people who aren't priests, you know, teaches lay people. And I thought he would have a very interesting perspective on this and could provide some clarity as a Dominican reaching into the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas on these topics. And so we're going to delve into that with Father Aquinas Gilbo. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, and America is committed to hosting very real, honest conversations in the Catholic Church today. These conversations should educate, inspire, and challenge us to think more critically and more faithfully, and that's our mission. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Father Aquinas Gilbo is up next. Father, welcome to the podcast.
1: Good morning, Gloria. It's good to be with you.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad to see you and talk to you. Uh, It's been a while since, you know, we really got to Chatted up. The pandemic really put a damper on my social life. Can I just tell you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. Now, I live with 70 other people, so we may not feel it in the same way you do, but uh, right. no, it's good to see your face and to hear yes. your voice. No, we'll have it's, to get together yeah. again soon.
0: I hope so. We got to. Plus, you know, I need to get your Cajun secrets. You know, people may not know I have a nickname for you. I call you the Deep Fried Dominican. You are That's from Louisiana. Right. And y'all just fry everything. <laughs> I just couldn't get, y'all just fry everything, and <laughs> hey, you know what? It does taste good. It really does taste good. And you know, I miss you know. I was with you for how many years? Every morning, like every was it? every, I remember you were my Friday guy. So you get up right. every morning super early for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, for a couple of years, I see you every Friday. We were doing a radio show together, and then they had the nerve to make you prior over there. I was like, how dare they? And then that right. sort of that put a. I didn't get to see you anymore. Not like regularly anymore. So I was, I, well, I, yeah. well, when
1: I was elected prior back in, what, that was 2017, yes. I had to give up several things. The thing that I, I missed the most was giving up the radio show.
0: So, Father, one of the things I've been thinking about is some comments by the Holy Father, you know, being able to deal with criticism, things like that. And Let me give the context. Sure. In Bratislava, Slovakia, on Sunday, September 12th, Pope Francis met with 53 Slovak Jesuits at the Nunciature. And the Pope often meets with local Jesuits during his foreign trips. One Jesuit asks about tensions inside the church. And the Jesuit says, some even see you as heterodox. He says, while others idealize you. We Jesuits try to overcome this division. He asks, how do you deal with people who look at you with suspicion? And the Holy Father's response was this. There is, for example, a large Catholic television channel that has no hesitation in continually speaking ill of the Pope. I personally deserve attacks and insults because I am a sinner but the church does not deserve them. They are the work of the devil. I have also said this to some of them. And this was huge news when the Holy Father said this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, what do you make of the Holy Father's comments? I
1: think it's a great distinction that he makes because you see this. So he's really repeating the Catholic tradition, really, when it comes to what we call fraternal correction. St. Thomas talked about this. You find it even in the the Desert Fathers, the Church Fathers. They're all dealing with the question, how is it that in love, in charity, we correct error, especially error in our brothers and sisters when we see it? I mean, St. Paul and St. Peter themselves we see in the New Testament confront one another, especially Paul confronts Peter when he thinks that Peter is in the wrong. And so it's always been a question how, in charity, we do this well. And, and the Pope makes a great distinction there. He says, Look, I, as a human being, I, as a person, I, as a Christian, I'm a sinner, I make mm-hmm. mistakes, and therefore I can be held to account for to the, the faults that I commit and, and should be. On the other hand, he says, Look, I hold an office for the sake of the whole church. It's God-given. It's for our good. You know, Peter and the successors of Peter are the principle of unity in belief, unity in charity for the whole church. And therefore, there has to be some care then that has to be exercised when offering criticism or critique or correcting error when we see it perhaps committed by the successor of Peter.
0: You know, when I think about it, I'm like, you can't really throw mud on the Holy Father without getting some on the church, the bride of Christ. And so, of course, we should want to be careful in how we speak to him, speak about what he may be saying and things like that. But I think there's some confusion around what kind of obedience do we as Catholics owe the Holy Father, particularly those of us who are lay people. Like I, for one, cannot stand when people Call him Bergoglio as a way to try to indicate I, he's not my pope, and I was like, "Y'all, we don't vote for him. Did you forget <laughs> the whole process?" Right. But this idea that we can majority, you know, vote the pope out, you mm-hmm. know, right. is I was like, "Is this just an American thing too?" I mean, I think we have, <laughs> you know, the American view of stuff sometimes can mess things up for the church. But but back to my bigger question, what is obedience? What kind of obedience do we as Catholics owe to the Holy Father?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the sense that we should have of our obedience to the Holy Father is what we see in the Eucharistic prayer. I mean, who do we pray for by name at mm-hmm. every Mass? First of all, The Pope and also our bishop. And so we realize that our connection to the Holy Father, to the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, comes by way of our belonging to a local church. In our case, the Archdiocese of Washington. Cardinal Gregory is our local bishop. He's the one who is our local shepherd. And it's through him and our belonging to the church that he leads that then we belong to the universal church who has a universal pastor in the Pope. So it's not the case that we're related, in a sense, immediately. the pope i mean the pope is not calling you gloria telling you where to live who to marry how to raise your child you (laughs) know all of these things so those are not the kinds of obedience that he's calling you to but he's calling us all as the chief pastor of the church to the obedience of faith as we read in the new testament and he is as the chief shepherd of the church the chief guarantor that what is preached Even in your local parish, is the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness, not just preached by the priest in the homily, but also celebrated faithfully in the sacraments. So that the Eucharist that's celebrated in your parish, along with the gospel that's preached in your parish, is the gospel and the sacraments of Jesus Christ. And so that's, in a sense, the obedience that the person of the Pope but also our Bishop, the pastor, this is the kind of obedience that's demanded. And thanks be to God, because they are the guarantors. I mean, who are you or your family? Who am I and the priest I live with? I mean, to guarantee anyone that what we preach or what we hear is the gospel, but we have a measure in order to make that judgment or or a measure according to which to make that judgment. And it's the faith of Peter.
0: As you were talking, I was like, "That's that's a heavy responsibility. I imagine it has to come with its as the chief shepherd he's under attack. I mean let's just be real. Mm-hmm. And I think about the human stresses also that brings with it And then to have the people (laughs) that you're trying to love and and provide all these guarantees, as you say, be like, you know, just some ungrateful, (laughs) you know, meanies. (laughs) You know, I I mean, think about it in family life. You know, if you have the responsibility of rearing your children, caring for your children, and they're just some ungrateful, rude (laughs) little cusses, you're just Mm -hmm. like, what is wrong with you? Give me a break. What do you not see and so there's a way just like we would do in family life hopefully you know we we work at it that if there's something that we see that we think is incorrect or we want to discuss there's a way in which we approach our mm-hmm. mothers and our fathers. I right. know black people listening. Like you bet not step out your line. <laughs> step out of the line and talk to your <laughs> mom or your daddy some kind right. of way because that would mean the switch. And y'all know yeah. what I'm talking about. Who's <laughs> who <are> listening?
1: <laughs> I think the the Holy Father is a bit wiser than we might give him credit. Uh, I think he knows in a sense what he's doing. He's called the whole church in a sense, right? To mm-hmm. to make a mess a bit, you know. So you know that's his metaphor for. Not being complacent in the life of the church, but yeah. the spirit leads where he wills. And that often means walking into situations or or encountering others that we may be unfamiliar with or just calling us to, to stretch ourselves in the living and the preaching of the gospel. That's mm-hmm. going to look messy. We're mm-hmm. going to get dirty in doing that.
0: And you're smelling like sheep. Exactly. And in doing
1: that, I think the Pope realizes, too, that good people can disagree as to how big of a mess we should make or how we should make that mess, and therefore there can be critique and criticism given as to you know the directions that are offered or indicated. And so, like I said, reflecting on what he said in that interview, I don't think he takes personal offense when it is that people might offer criticism of the prudential decisions that he's made as Pope. Again, that's the whole nature of prudential decisions. Good people can disagree about them, and we talk mm-hmm. about those disagreements. But when the criticism, though, as he says, steps outside the bounds of charity— or steps outside the bounds, even you know, to the point of threatening the unity of the church. That's where he says that the church then becomes the victim right. of this criticism and not just him. And so that's an interesting distinction that he makes.
0: And that is what he's saying is the work of the devil. Let's be clear. That's what he's saying is the work of the devil. So Father, there are a lot of critiques that doctrinally the Holy Father has taken the church down the wrong path. Is there any Do you think that that's a credible criticism of the Holy Father on a doctrinal basis that he's teaching heresy?
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. And and certainly that's where a lot of people are, right? I mean, we're talking Mm -hmm. about criticism of the Holy Father. It's not always just about his prudential decisions, but in some of the things that he says insofar as he's teaching the faith. I would say this, at this point, I don't think it's necessary to read anything that Francis has said or wrote as expressing heresy. It may not be as clear, as I would like it. It may not be in the kind of language I would like, but if you look carefully at what he said, if you look carefully at what he's written, you can always see and interpret what he says in the greater tradition. Mm. Does he want to stretch and push us in different directions? Yes. Has he done so to the breaking point? No. And it's also, it's not the fact that we have to read Pope Francis in light of what previous popes have said, but it's also... To understand, too, that Pope Francis himself is going to be read in the light of his successors. You Mm -hmm. know, so any one pope's word on any subject is not the last word on anything. (laughs) There's always going to be hopefully more explicit, more informed, greater detailed expositions and expressions of the faith. That's what we should expect over time. And as Pope Francis is you know, giving us a word for our time, his successor will do the same and his successor and his successor too. So there's a confidence we should have in living in our own moment, not only looking towards the past, but also confident in hope for the future that what it is that we believe now is going to be in conformity, not only with what has been been taught, but what will be taught in mm-hmm. the ways that greater clarification are going to be given later.
0: Amen. I think people remember that. Right. And I'm look, your order has been around a long time. What, y'all from the 13th century?
1: 800 years. In fact, we're celebrating this year, the 800th anniversary of St. Dominic's death.
0: All right. All right. Yeah. Y'all got it going on. But with all <laughs> that time around, I mean, y'all have seen a lot of stuff going on in the church, and I'm sure Sure. there's been criticism of the Holy Father before. Right. I mean, we've seen this before, and I know in particular, I'm thinking of uh, St. Catherine of Siena.
1: Right. Yeah, our sister, uh, St. Catherine in the 14th century, you know, during the time when the popes had left Rome for a good number of years and were living in Avignon, France, uh, St. Catherine in her own hometown of Siena, just knew that it was part of the charism of the pope to be in the city of Rome. He's the bishop of Rome and God's providence uh, from the church's very beginning. It's where Peter and Paul shed their blood by God's providence. This was the city where the, the chief shepherd should live and guide the church. That he was living in a French diocese, perhaps under the undue direction of the French king. Mm. Catherine and others knew this was not good, not just for the person of the pope himself, but for the whole church. And basically, it was time for him to get back home. <laughs> to go back to Rome, right. to get back to where he belongs, and so famously, Catherine traveled to Avignon, met with the Pope, and in various ways begged him and convinced him to move back to the whole papal court, to move the whole papal court back to Rome. And the way in which she did that offers a lesson and example as to how criticism, how critique, how counsel, you know, can be given by lay people, by mm-hmm. clergy, to the person of the Pope. And her letters are very interesting for that. They're very affectionate. She calls the Pope by very affectionate names. She calls him Babbo, which is uh, Italian for like dad or daddy or dada. Mm. Uh, That might not be exact kind of translations, but it it gives you a sense of just the affection that she uses in referring to the Holy Father. At the same time, though, she is quite bold and quite clear. One of my favorite lines she tells him, she says, don't make me complain to Christ Jesus about you. (laughs) (laughs) don't make me complain to jesus about you but that's the this it's in the spirit of faith it's in the spirit of charity the spirit of obedience you know that she offers that correction and uh, it's what pope francis is, is calling us to
0: so let me ask this though were those actual those are her written letters to him right that's right And so I also was thinking there's a nature of privacy. There's kind of a privacy there in her written letters to him versus if I get on Twitter, little old me get on Twitter and say something, (laughs) hey, Bergoglio, you need to blah, blah, blah. How disrespectful, right? And then what kind of witness am I giving for everybody else is looking at what I'm saying and how I'm Mm -hmm. treating the Holy Father. And I'm like, would you really talk to somebody like that face to face? You know, some of the things that the way people speak about the Holy Father, they would never, I should hope, Mm-hmm. say face to face to him and this is for everybody right this is mm-hmm. this is for everybody when we talk about the holy father what are we left with like what is my feeling am i enraged with the holy father right. do i feel like he's a devil incarnate <laughs> you know and he's right. you know the church is going that we are vulnerable to this horrible person or whatever i keep thinking like what mm-hmm. feeling or sentiment am i left with
1: I mean, you bring up a good question about Twitter. I mean, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a hellscape because (laughs) people don't talk on Twitter as they would, like you said, to Mm -hmm. another person face to face. Almost because of the distance that the media gives, gives an excuse to act in such a way, to speak in such a way that you never would with a person face to face. And that's not good. I do think, though, that our Lord himself, in terms of uh, how is it that the... One person corrects another. How is it that the church corrects a member? I mean, he gives directions here. I mean, first you go to the person individually. Mm -hmm. You talk to them. If nothing happens, nothing changes. Then you go to a couple of others, witnesses to the error, and then you bring them all together with the offender and see if that will help to convince mm-hmm. or to correct. And if that doesn't work, then in a sense you go public, <laughs> you go, right. you know, to the entire church. Now that's not possible in this case. So I think there's another way to think about. Well, how do is it that not just the pope, but let's say the president, our governor, our mayor, you know, how is it that criticism is given because they're lives and their actions are public, well, then the public is, in a sense, the first forum where, you know, if public decisions are made, which affect public action, well, then public criticism is certainly valid. But I think people can tell from the first word that comes out of our mouths, whether Mm -hmm. we're really concerned about the common good here, or am I just here to fire shots at the person in charge? And really in that, pointing all direction back to me. I'm really not concerned about the problem and I'm not concerned about the common good. I just want to be recognized as the one who has the hottest of hot takes in this moment and get recognition for that. People can see that right away and it cheapens our discourse because the good and human dignity are not the concerns there, but rather my own pride.
0: And that's sickening. And I think it's a big temptation when people are on Twitter or even really in any media platform because you're trying to get looks and attention, you know, to mm-hmm. your story, but it shouldn't be at that price. It shouldn't also impair your soul, <laughs> you right. know, that you're being prideful and doing this. And one of the things that I often think when these people talk this way on social media or in the media, I'm like, yeah, everybody's a gangster while a lion's in a cage. You know, right. they say all right. this stuff, <laughs> right? Cause the lion's in the cage. But if you had to, you know, face right. a lion, you'd be talking a little bit differently. You're not gonna try right. to provoke, you're gonna try to be reasonable, you're gonna try to be, you know, gentle even. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking that would be nice if we had a little bit more of that. But one of the things that I was thinking about is you instruct priests and men mm-hmm. in formation for the priesthood. Do you find in dealing with so many people that there is a suspicion maybe? Of the Holy Father, and you deal with people all across everywhere. Like you travel a lot too. Do you feel like there's a suspicion, maybe?
1: I don't know if it's suspicion so much as a little disorientation because of a lack of familiarity. What do I mean by that? Well, I think because when you look over the course of the 20th century, we've had some extraordinary popes, mm-hmm. and I, in saying that, I'm not excluding Pope Francis. I, mean, I think, in, he's to be included. Among them. I do think that having benefited from, let's say, 35 years of the JP2 B16 experience of the papacy, where, I don't know, there's just with JP2 kind of a clarity of teaching, with Mm B16, a clarity of prayer, that it's not to say that Pope Francis is not concerned with those, but he's helped us to see that. In continuity with those let's look at the messier parts of the world and i think because he doesn't speak in the way that jp2 and b16 did and he doesn't carry on let's say the trappings of office or the duties of the papacy in the same way it is a little disorienting, and I think mm-hmm. people can be allowed that mm-hmm. to scratch their heads a bit, to be confused as to, <laughs> to what's going on. But it does challenge us then to scratch below the surface, to draw the lines of continuity in a deeper way than we might otherwise. In let's say connecting the dots between Pius the twelfth, John the twenty third, Paul the JP two B sixteen. That's maybe a little easier on the surface. Pope Francis has made a mess, (laughs) you know, and that's not to be excluded from the life of the church or a possibility of a means of grace in the church. It just may take some time to, again, draw those lines of continuity more deeply. And then over time, to reach a, a new equilibrium and a new balance that incorporates more of the greater tradition within, let's say, the new initiatives that Pope Francis is trying to raise.
0: We'll be right back. Well, it seems like uh, the Holy Father has certainly um, in calling, asking us to go to the peripheries and look at the, sometimes the things that are hidden and messy, all for trying to love the sheep. He tells you guys to smell like the sheep. I was like, mm-hmm. we don't smell too good. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> and and a lot of our lives are a mess, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to bring the light of the faith into what might be a chaotic mess in which we don't know, I think a lot of times people are looking for grand, big answers that are always and everywhere the answer, but we know in the mess of life, there's nuance and there's things mm-hmm. like that. And so I think the Holy Father asking for that sort of makes people have to really bring the light of the faith into their lives, and our lives can be messy.
1: Mm-hmm. And the questions he asks and the answers that he gives to some of those questions in terms of prudential matters, I mean, how do we go to the peripheries and things like that, Right. Mm-hmm. we don't have to like. We don't even have <laughs> to agree with. We can think he's wrong. And that's okay. On these prudential matters, again, it's not to say that there has to be a conformity of mind to every decision that he makes or every choice that he makes in choosing how to exercise the office of Peter. What's called for is our love. What's called Mm. for is our clinging to the chair of Peter, (laughs) regardless of who's in it, because that's the gift. And so we could disagree with the Pope on a thousand things, but we we don't disagree with him on, or the truths of the faith, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the necessity to live in love and to share the same Eucharist. And that's what he guarantees.
0: But the thing is, I think people don't know how to disagree appropriately. And we were talking about fraternal correction earlier. Who is appropriately the ones that can offer fraternal correction to the Holy Father? I mean, I could roll up to, you know, Vatican City and be like, hey, I'm here to see the Holy Father. (laughs) Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) Well, first of
1: all, I mean, it's just in the life of the church is going to be the College of Cardinals and the College of Bishops. I mean, those are the ones, those are his, in a sense, peers. Those are his Mm -hmm. colleagues. Those are the ones that who work with him closely for the governance of the church and therefore in their conversations with him, those would be the appropriate times to both share agreements and disagreements. I think in terms of the rank and file us, you know out in the <laughs> out in the world yeah. in ways that are appropriate. Again, it's in public conversations about public matters where we can offer different perspectives, but in a way again, that's respectful and is an expression of our filial piety. the church and to the person of the holy father we say these things because we love him we say these things because we love the church Mm -hmm. we say these things because we love god ultimately and the pope and the church for god's sake we want heaven for him and for everybody and because Mm -hmm. of that we offer our critique in things that we think might not be the most prudent or the best for the proclamation of the gospel in our own day
0: yeah and i even think the holy father when he says you know. When people are, I'm summarizing, he says, when you speak of him in a way that damages the church, that's the work of the devil. And what does that mean? Because some people, you know, not everybody listens to the podcast, Catholic, they might even not even be believers. So Mm -hmm. when he says work of the devil, how should we understand what that means?
1: Well, anything that uh, attacks the unity of the church that's gonna seek to instill a dissension or schism any kind of disunity or rupture in the life of the church yeah we say is demonic it's not of god mm-hmm. it is not god's will that the church lives in division in fact it's her whole purpose in living out the mark of the church that she is one that Christ says is the visible sign in the world of the truth of the gospel and the reality of divine love. You know, mm. Christians love each other. That's how we know that God loves the world. And when Christians don't love each other, it's <laughs> or, not or a- when they disagree in such a way that charity and the bonds of charity are broken, yeah, that's not of God. Is mm. simply what the Pope is saying. So I think there's a way, again, in which how do we disagree with others Again, it's not to say that charity or the oneness of charity erases all disagreement. That is not true. But when we encounter disagreement or when we begin to disagree with one another, we do so in such a way that we presume the best of the other. We give as generous a read as possible to their thought, to their intentions. You know, we don't go into the situation immediately thinking the worst, We're going to get nowhere. And I think that's what the Pope is challenging us to, that again, there can be real disagreement in true love for the other. And as fierce as the disagreement between Peter and Paul was, you know, Mm -hmm. that's recounted by Paul himself, you never get the sense for even a nanosecond that Paul is doing this out of some kind of lack of charity for Peter.
0: So just give me some advice. And I know you're going to say, Gloria, don't punch anybody in the mouth. But when people start, when people start talking, really, what I would call in a way that is so cruel about the Holy Father, Mm -hmm. they won't call him the Holy Father, they'll call him by his last name, Bergoglio, and they mean it in the sense of he's not the Pope. And when they're saying that, you know, he's really doing the work of the evil one, how should we respond? What would be a decent response to that, if at all.
1: Right. Well, I think St. Thomas Aquinas gives us the perfect example of how to do that. Every question in the Summa Theologiae, which is St. Thomas's great work on theology, every question is meant to correct in a way, to correct some kind of error. And that's what he begins with, with every question. He doesn't jump into a topic telling you, here's what I think, and this is why Mm -hmm. I'm right. He -hmm. begins every question Other people say this, Mm -hmm. and he tries to enter as fully as possible into the thought of the other to -hmm. understand not only what it is that they hold, but why they hold it. And I think that's an example for us that if we run across something that we don't quite agree with, or we all of a sudden, you know, the hairs on the back of our (laughs) neck stand up and we're ready to attack, it might be worth stepping back and say, okay, what in fact is being said here? Why is this being said? And before I give my own opinion, I should be able to express back to the person their own opinion and perhaps sometimes with greater clarity than they they, expressed it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good place to start when we want to argue (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we've got something we want to say to put out our own perspective or opinion on something. It's best done if we can first articulate the opposing view oftentimes better than our opponent and then begin what we have to say from that because that's not only going to help us to enter sympathetically into thought of the other so i'm already respecting the person i'm disagreeing with by trying to understand what it is that they're saying right and that's what the pope means by entering into a real dialogue but then we're not just yelling at each other or just kind of making declarations against each other we're really trying to really get at the heart of the matter. What is most important in that encounter is the truth and a common recognition of the truth, not about who's right, and who's wrong, or whose ego can be stroked in this moment, yeah. who's going to shine more in the unfolding of the debate. No, the, the truth is the most important, and that's what Aquinas shows us in question after question after question of the summa. He often knows the opponent's view better than they're able to articulate, and it's from that perspective then that he can enter placidly, mm-hmm. calmly, gently, gently into his own exposition of the truth, you know, as he understands it vis-a-vis the opinions of others. And that's part of the brilliance of Asuma. Summa.
0: Well, I think that's, a, to me, that same advice goes to the people who are suspicious of the Holy Father. Like, why mm-hmm. do you, and they need to do some of that searching of what the Holy Father has actually said, or is study these kinds of things about what the church thinks on certain matters. They would need to have that same kind of care to mm-hmm. understand before they... I guess, jump to say he's not the Holy Father or right. whatever kinds of things.
1: And that works with everybody, with a spouse, with a pastor, a boss, one's own bishop, friends. I mean, this is, you know, it's just a way to, as we weak and limited human beings arrive at truth, it's through argumentation, it's through discussion, it's perspectival, and it's tough to get to sometimes. and And those conversations have to be entered into with honor and respect.
0: There you go. I mean, there's a difference. People a lot of times know how to be respectful when it's their boss, right? Because they're like, my money is on the line, right? Right? So there's some kind of stick sometimes people fear. With a spouse, we hope it's love, right? Right. I would hope with the boss, it's also some respect and mutual respect and you actually have a decent relationship.
1: You have confidence in their ability to lead and things like that.
0: But a spouse is love. With children is love. With the Holy Father, it should be love too, but a different kind Mm -hmm. of love than what you have for your spouse or your child. And I think that's where you know, we need to start thinking about as Catholics, do we love the Holy Father, whoever he is? Mm-hmm. And I often think of St. Teresa of Avila, there was this situation where this priest was tied up in a really, really bad situation. And instead of, she didn't blow up at the guy, she developed a relationship with him. And she prayed and fasted for him, because she realized the spiritual nature of why he was behaving contrary to Mm -hmm. you know, his vocation. And um, there was some witchcraft involved also. So once she finally got him to give her basically a talisman that was given and he used to wear, that kind of spiritual effect seemed to lessen the the Mm -hmm. evil on him. And then all of her prayers and fasting and good counsel that she was giving to him and the relationship she developed helped him to break from the right. things that were destructive and bad for his priesthood from this mm-hmm. particular person, and I wonder because I'm not like I can't just roll up to Vatican City like you said. Right. I'm way <laughs> far away, but I can't do that. I can't pray right. for the Holy Father. I can't fast for the Holy Father. I mean, that's why we have all these masses said for him too. But mm-hmm. I personally, especially, I think if I'm not situated in a way that I feel affection for the Holy Father, if maybe even if I feel some hatred for him, I think especially. I need to be praying and fasting for him. And probably that also helps me too.
1: No, and it purifies our own feelings and intentions. I was going to say that earlier. I mean, I think you make a good point that it's easy to love the people that we like. Mm-hmm. And it's nice when we like the people that we love. <laughs> you know, <those> are, <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't always work that way. In fact, it is possible to love those whom we don't like. And in fact, that's part of the fulfillment of the command of charity is to love those whom we don't like. Or put it differently, the fact that we don't like someone doesn't excuse us from the demand to love them. And it doesn't mean that we have to become best friends or force ourselves into liking them artificially. But Mm -hmm. it's doing the things that you said. There's ways in which we can show love for each other, especially within the bonds of the church, within our common belief common charity, common sacramental practices, that we can love the other in God, in Christ, even if there's great distance between us, not just physical, but also emotional or intellectual. You know, that's okay. Charity informs all things. And that's the rule.
0: I like that. So let me ask this. Charity informs all things. And that's the rule. That's such a beautiful thing that I'm going to be meditating on throughout the day, especially when I'm on the edge and not being charitable. <laughs> I need <neither> to <laughs> have command of my mouth and my thoughts. You know, It always comes back to me being able to regulate our passions, having some right. self-mastery, that word, mm-hmm. self-mastery and reason, right? That you may feel a certain way, but you can use reason to help you master in some ways your passions. And so that makes me think about if I'm constantly tuning in or putting myself with people who don't exercise the things that you're talking about when it comes Mm -hmm. to the Holy Father, what should I do? Should I run? (laughs) Should should I turn the TV off? Should I switch off the radio? You know, what should I do? And if I'm, you know, hear this constant criticism in a way that is not in that spirit of being charitable, it's not edifying, it's not coming from a place of assuming good intentions from the Holy Father, or even maybe even there's some And we see this a lot in the secular media, misrepresentation of what the Holy Father says. Is that immature for me to just be like, I got to get from this because it's not good for me? Or should I try to stay through it? (laughs) What do you think?
1: Yeah, a balance there. I mean, I don't think we need to be on Twitter for 45 minutes of every hour of the day. (laughs) Uh,
0: imagine that, right? <laughs>
1: probably 45 minutes a day is too much. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so that's one thing. A second thing, you know, a lot of people have the serenity prayer memorized and you can say, you know, that's it's a little saccharine and a little superficial, but it, there's some real truth to that prayer, especially the line that uh, "Help me to accept the things I cannot, I cannot change. change, which is just to say that not everything in the world has to fall under my control. In fact, The vast majority of things don't. That includes the governance of my town, (laughs) the governance of my state, of my country, the governance of the church. I can have Mm. opinions about these things. I can analyze things. But at the end of the day, what I think about them may or may not, in fact, probably will not have much of an effect on the outcomes there. I don't have to be the one making all the rules all the time. In fact, the major part of life is my following, the rules that are established for us. And the presumption there is that they're all of right reason they're prudential. When they're not, we can disagree. And there's a whole way in which we, you know, protest and do those kinds of things. When the rules that are placed on us become unjust, obviously, you know, there are ways in which to disagree and react and to work for change. But day in and day out, there's a kind of prudence that we exercise by calmly just going about our business Again, that's Mm -hmm. not an excuse for complacency. That's not an excuse to let the powers that be just do what they will. That's not it at all. But it's how is it that in reality, most of us live our lives guided by the prudential decisions of our leaders.
0: Mm. There's a letting go there and a trust, I think, in what you just said. Is there anything you would suggest people might read? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Because it sounds just the way in which you were speaking just makes me think, Obviously, I think you've probably studied quite a bit and also lived this particular life for such a a long time that there's a, you have a certain kind of clarity and serenity, to use that word, about things that I just typically don't see in the larger world. So maybe there's some things you might suggest people might read.
1: Yeah. I would just say, start with the New Testament. Okay. <laughs> the Gospels. <laughs> I mean, look at it as, I mean, how is it that Christ commands obedience? How is it that he exercises his authority and how the apostles react to him? How do they live with him under his guidance, under Mm. his authority? The letters of St. Paul, again, are also instructive here. I mean, how is it that Paul, on the one hand, submits himself to obedience to Christ and yet demands obedience from the members of the churches that he Mm -hmm. found. That's fascinating. And that's all faith. That's all charity at work as it's supposed to look in the life of the church. I read a line from a church father, a desert father a long time ago. I'm still looking for it. I've lost it. I've lost the reference. But it's the gist of it is if you get upset at some kind of expression of untruth or error, that's a sign that you're not. In full possession of the truth yourself. Ooh. Which is to say that there's Whoa. something about Beautiful. living in truth that error or the expression of error, it's not that it's just water off a duck's back, but you realize right. that truth can take care of itself. Mm. <laughs> but if we find ourselves, you know, getting riled up at every error that we see the wisdom of the desert is that well that's a sign that you yourself have not yet been conquered by truth Mm. and uh maybe it takes a little more time in the quiver as the old testament says to let your arrows rest in the quiver a while Uh, let them soak in truth before pulling them out and firing them at everything (laughs) that you see
0: good point i love that i love that last thing i think just to say i just don't think we can be catholic without peter you know, I just don't think we could be Catholic without the Pope. Jesus would agree. Right? <laughs> he did build the church on Peter. And so maybe that's a, also a good place for people to remember. Where would could you even be Catholic without any Pope? I'm not talking about in between when they die. I mean, there's right, somebody right. in the office and you're saying, no, it's not. Can you right. even really be Catholic? I hope that people think about that next time when they speak. And also that they let their quiver sit and, and rest. You said, rest your arrows in the quiver and try to marinate in the truth before That's you right. go shooting those arrows at everybody else. That's such a beautiful, I hope you find that Who which desert father made that quote and you send it over to me.
1: Or if one of your listeners knows what this is. Yeah, send it in.
0: Reach us. Y'all know how to comment and reach out to us and let us know. Well, it's been great speaking with you. So good seeing your face. And thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And to give me a lot to think about. And I have to go pull out some Aquinas and reread it.
1: Never go wrong doing that. I
0: might be shooting you some emails. (laughs) Did I understand this properly? Please do. (laughs) I will. All right. Take care. Have a great day.
1: You too. God bless Gloria. Take care.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. So glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member, especially if it's someone who is suspicious or overly critical of our Holy Father. It might help them reflect more deeply on this question. And be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.